Rabina, we're hearing that Canada lost one million jobs last month. Um, Was this anticipated? It was anticipated, and I actually think the numbers are a lot worse than what the Labor Force Survey is saying. I mean, they look at a snapshot of one week, in this case, March 15th to March 21st, where they do their survey of 56,000 households. That works really well in normal market conditions to give you an idea of how people were doing in March. But we know that many more than a million people have lost their job uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Um, Even anecdotally speaking, or not anecdotally speaking, but look Looking at statistics, uh, more than 4 million people have applied for EI or the CERB. So we're going to see similar numbers in uh, April and maybe even in May. And this is, I mean, just to put into perspective, the worst month we ever had uh, was January 2009 when we lost 125,000 jobs in one month. And it was a headline-making month. I remember I was off that day, and my executive producer called me and said, get your butt to the TSX Broadcast Center because we have a major story that you need to cover. And so, you know, job numbers were not something that normally I got dragged out of bed for. This is just, I mean, I can't even emphasize how devastating this is. It's historical. It's, yeah, I mean... One million jobs lost in a month are numbers that I hope we never see again. I mean, I know we've shut the city, the country down, and that we were expecting numbers to be this high. But really, I mean, we're in a position where everybody knows multiple people who have lost their jobs, not just a couple. I mean, we all have a handful of people that know that have lost their jobs and are now sitting uh, and waiting for EI or applying for the CERB. Rabina, let's talk about the numbers. I don't know how specific they get, but do they show us uh, where the majority of jobs were lost? I'm thinking a lot of them were in the restaurant and service industry. Yes. So a lot of the restaurant and service industry, retail jobs were lost. Um, I haven't been able to break down uh, province by province, uh, but you can get a look at, you know, province-wide what ha- what's happening. So there'll be more job losses in perhaps in Alberta, where there's the oil and gas sector that's also been hit by the fact that the price of oil has plummeted to a record low. I mean, people are, I don't think people are celebrating low gas prices because I think they understand that having gas prices as low as they are is actually very bad for Canada because we're losing jobs in our oil and gas sector because of prices being so low. So we ca- I, we can um, uh, we can go into the labor force survey and look at, um, you know, where jobs were lost, especially uh, going across the country. Now, just to put this in, you know, to make it crystal clear for people that are wondering, okay, well, why is low uh, gas prices? Why is it bad for our industry? That's because it's very expensive to produce our gas, correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean, Saudi Arabia is able to produce a barrel of oil uh, for a lot cheaper than Alberta is. And that is just because of the way that the oil is taken out of the ground and the way that we produce it here compared to uh, in Saudi Arabia. And they're also they have also more oil. And that's why they're able to do things like flood the market with uh, more oil and bring the price down artificially. Uh, They have a lot more control in that sense, which is unfortunate because Canada still has a robust oil and gas sector. And we're so much more at the the, you know, we, whatever the, the OPEC nations do, that's what we seem to be affected by. And it's unfortunate because those countries are able to produce oil so much cheaper than, than Alberta is. We're speaking with Rabina Ahmed Hawk about the uh, StatsCan releasing the uh, job numbers for March. They're, they're bleak. We lost a million jobs in the month of March. And Rabina, do you think these numbers will change with the wage subsidies that the feds are offering as incentive to rehire? I mean, we already heard yesterday that. Um, Air Canada is rehiring uh, about 16,000 laid-off workers. 
Um, you know, I, I, the, the wage subsidy is, um, is a good way to incentivize businesses to hire employees back, but the problem is a lot of businesses don't have much work for employees to do. Um, so it's, it's not really a case of whether, they, can, uh, whether they, can, they have work for them to do and they can't afford to hire them. It's really that the, their business has been just completely shut down. So even if they hire a few people back, take advantage of this wage subsidy, which I think they, they even uh, made it uh, that oh, you only need to show that 15% of your revenue was lost uh, because of COVID-19, which it was 30%. So they've actually made it even easier for businesses to access that. Um, the problem really is that there's no business activity. Um, you know, in 2008, 2009, the problem was is that businesses were losing money because investments were, you know, the stock market was out of control, housing market was um, plummeting, and uh, people were laying people off because they were worried about the future. So a wage subsidy at that time would work much better because you think, okay, I can bring some people back, try to get some business activity going because at least you had access to the market. There's no access right now. So if you own a store... Um, on a you know a major street in Toronto that sells that sells cakes, how do you how do you how do you start doing that again? Because you're not even really allowed to have people in the store giving samples out. There's it, there's very little activity that that that, that businesses can employ their employees to do. Okay, well. When things start to change, when we start getting back to normal and we don't know when that's going to be, I mean, that's the big question uh, on everybody's mind. When are we going to end this period of self-isolation? When it is lifted, do we have an idea of where the numbers might go when we start to, you know, slowly get back to normal? I think we're going to see pretty bad numbers for the month of April because, um, uh, these labor force, I mean, they look at one week, but really March was only half of half the month was affected. The first half was was not. I mean, I almost read yesterday the February uh, labor force survey and thought how naive we were because it was, you know, painting a normal sort of picture of the labor market. And, and actually, we, we added jobs in February. So a little bit of that on that of where we're adding jobs and how things are going. And it just seemed almost naive that in just a couple of weeks time, we shed, uh, you know, a million jobs. So I'm thinking April and May, we're going to see similar activity because companies that have done their major layoffs, um, that's going to be reflected in April as well. But then many businesses are continuing to find it very hard to pay their employees, even with this wage subsidy, uh, because there isn't any revenue coming in. So there's going to be more layoffs coming in the, in the future. But when we get back to normal, I, I, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like. Our businesses might be apprehensive to start spending money, even if they have access to low-interest loans or, or interest-free loans that the government's offering. Um, because they may be worried about, you know, many people may not want to spend. They may be worried about consumer sentiment. I mean, can you imagine if you lost your job in February and then you get back to work maybe at the end of the summer? You're not going to be in the mood to just go out there and start spending again. You're really going to be in a saving mode, which is what you should be after a job loss, uh, but that's not good for business. You know, uh, I'm I'm also reading that 3.1 million Canadians were affected by total job loss or reduced hours, and that's something that is uh, important to touch on. Some people may still have their job, but their hours have been severely cut. Yeah, I mean, and that 3 million number, to put into perspective, I mean, the total labor force in Canada is about 20 million. So you can imagine, like, that's a big chunk of people that have been adversely affected by either losing their jobs or losing hours. And it's true, you know, uh, if you lose hours and you're, you're used to having a certain kind of salary come in to pay your mortgage or pay your rent uh, to fund your life, um, you've got to all of a sudden start thinking about, uh, you know, where are you going to get that extra money from? And if you're making some money, you may not uh, qualify for EI or for CERB. So that's the other conundrum that many people are in is that I'm still making some salary, but just not the salary I was making, you know, three weeks ago. 
um, but I don't, I don't qualify now for any benefits because I haven't really lost my job, and so I'm in this middle ground. I think the government is addressing that with uh, making the CRB available to those part-time workers and contract workers, uh, but there's definitely still stories creeping out of people who don't necessarily fit into any of those boxes, um, and they're, they don't have any access to money at all. You talked about the naiveness of our job numbers in February, Rubina, and I just can't help but to think about several conversations we've had in the past, you being a personal finance expert, about how people have been living um, naively uh, beyond their means for so long. And And my heart literally, it breaks for so many people that I know are overextended. And I just, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. You know, um, I've been have there's a lot of chatter on Twitter right now, a lot of personal finance types really pushing the idea of, you know, the emergency fund and making sure you put some money aside. And I understand that. But there's two things I wanted to say. One is that this is a much different crisis than 2008, 2009. Um, that was not a time where we felt completely our arms were, you know, our hands were tied. We didn't even know what the future held. I mean, it was more watching the markets, watching the housing crisis in the United States, worried, of course, about our jobs. Automobile, auto sector was affected. Airline sector was affected. Of course, there were job losses. But there wasn't that feeling of dread that we have right now where we, we can't even, even if you've lost your job, you can't even go out and get one because there's really nowhere to, uh, to be hired. Um, and also, you know, right now is not the time to school people on why didn't you get an emergency fund? Why didn't you listen mm-hmm. to that Rubina Ahmed Huck? Because people already, before this even happened, uh, were living at, in a situation where two, three hundred dollars would break them financially. And now if they've lost their job and they've been living paycheck to paycheck and they've been doing the right thing, paying all their debts, not going into too much debt, but not being able to save, this is the last time someone should wave their finger at them and say, why don't you have that emergency fund? And who could have, who could have planned for this? This is an unprecedented Wimbledon. event. Yeah, Wimbledon planned for it. No one could They're apparently it. it. Sorry, say that again. I said Wimbledon are apparently the only people, the the only group that planned for a pandemic. I don't know if you heard about this. They took out pandemic insurance after SARS and they've been paying about three million into it each year. And it's going to pay off big this year for them. It's an amazing story. Yeah, I'll look that up. I haven't seen that at all. But I mean, most people didn't have that that kind of foresight. And even SARS, SARS didn't shut the country down. SARS was devastating. It it affected tourism in Toronto, especially. Um, It it affected, of course, our healthcare workers. We lost a lot of people at that time. But it did not have this worldwide effect that, uh, that, uh, that, I mean, my brother, I lived in England, and my brother came to visit me easily, and the SARS epidemic was at its height. It was no problem traveling at that point. Um, but the way that this is affecting us, and when we come back, we're coming back to a new world uh, where mm-hmm. workplaces are going to have to change the way they think about how they put people together, maybe have half the remote workforce, uh, maybe have a workforce that's half remote so that they can protect themselves against outbreaks in the future. Um, think about conferences and international business travel. All these things will have to be uh, more critically thought through before you just send your employees off because they need to think about what's happening to the health and welfare of their company when that person comes back. Rubina, stay safe. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Kelly. Cheers. That's Rubina Ahmed-Hawk, our 640 Toronto personal finance expert.